Hey, everybody, I'm Brian Antonin for Ashley Banfield tonight. And we start with breaking news uh, happening right now at the University of Georgia, where the campus has now been closed. And there is a major murder investigation happening right now. A woman's body was found on the University of Georgia campus. That's in Athens, a massive campus there. Uh, police say they got a call from someone asking officers to do a welfare check on a friend who had gone for a run there on campus uh, at the intramural fields. And uh, that woman never returned. Officers found the friend's body in a wooded area behind a lake. They say that she had visible injuries and they do suspect foul play and they have shut down the campus and they have canceled classes there until Monday, which is really uh, an extraordinary thing. Uh, Here's the chief of police. Uh, He spoke at the University of Georgia just a little while ago. On February 22nd, 2024 at approximately 12.07 p.m. The University of Georgia Police Department received a call from an individual concerned for a friend who had gone jogging at the intramural fields. Our officers responded to that area and immediately began a search of the area to attempt to locate the individual. Officers located the individual in the area behind Lake Herrick at approximately 12.38. The individual was unconscious and not breathing and had visible injuries. Officers immediately began rendering medical aid. Emergency medical responders determined that the individual was deceased upon their arrival. The University of Georgia Police Department is actively investigating this tragedy in cooperation with the Georgia Bureau of Investigation and also the athens Clark County Police Department. We urge the public to continue to avoid this general area while this investigation is ongoing. Now, Chief Clark did not share the victim's name, but did say she uh, was a student from another school, not UGA, although it's unclear if perhaps she went to UGA at one point. Uh, We're hearing conflicting reports right now. Just moments ago, we learned that other schools in uh, Augusta University, also in Georgia, where the victim uh, may have been uh, studying nursing. The University of Georgia has now canceled classes today and tomorrow and through the weekend. In a message posted on their website, they say a foul play is suspected and we are already receiving support from the Georgia Bureau of Investigation and athens Clark County Police Department to investigate this crime. We want to assure you that the safety and welfare of our campus community is our top concern. Uh, and I'm joined right now by Francie uh, Hakes, former federal prosecutor in Georgia, who is also a UGA uh, alumna and has a lot of connections to the university. Uh, Francie, first thing I thought, I mean, pretty extraordinary, a massive university, uh, 30,000 undergrad, 10,000 graduate, for them to now shut the university down because of this until Monday makes me think there is something very, very serious going on. Well, Brian, I think you may be right. It makes me think the same thing. I wonder whether these visible injuries that they talk about, which is fairly remarkable if you had someone who uh, had to be autopsied before a cause of death was determined here. While the police haven't given us a cause of death, they certainly talk about visible injuries, which makes me think, unfortunately, this is a very violent murder. And I wonder whether that is the reason behind shutting down the campus, because they're very concerned that someone very dangerous 
cannabis is on the loose on campus. Yeah, and when the uh, police chief gave uh, the statement, they asked, you know, is the community in danger? And he was careful when he answered the question. He didn't say no. Um, And again, just reading between the lines, I mean, I've got friends with kids who go there. A lot of them are now going home. Uh, People are really panicking. Well, and, and that's understandable. You know, one of the things he said was they he can't say they're not in danger. He said he didn't think they were in immediate danger. And I'm not sure he can say that now. The chief has a lot of law enforcement experience. He came out of that Athens Clark County Police Department. So he's not someone who's just been a campus police officer. He has actual criminal experience with homicide and child abuse and everything. So for him to say that there's some risk to the community, I think is very significant. All right, Francie, I know that you went to the University of Georgia. If we hear anything else, we may bring you back on because uh, this is all developing right now. Thank you for uh, for coming on on such short notice. I want to bring in a student now at the University of Georgia. Uh, she is a sophomore there and is on the campus right now. Uh, can you tell us um, what, what the vibe is? I mean, are you seeing people pack up and go home? Because those are the reports that we're getting. Um, absolutely. The vibe is definitely extremely somber and our community is extremely hurt. Two back-to-back tragedies in the last 24 hours has just left campus kind of a nightmare. <laughs> a lot of anxiety coming out. A lot of parents asking their children to come home, asking them not to go out. You know, my mom bought me a taser and has now shifted to me. Um, it is a lot of fear, to be honest with you. Yeah, I can imagine. You mentioned there was another tragedy. I believe it was a, it was a suicide uh, last night, so that was obviously difficult for the for the campus community. But for them now to be closing the campus and canceling classes until Monday, um, and apparently they've got that entire area roped off where um, the young woman's body was found. It seems like there is a concern for safety. I mean, what are you hearing? What are you hearing on the campus about that? Everyone is pretty concerned for their safety. Um, you know, people usually go out on Thursdays and. Everyone on, if the social app Yik Yak, if you guys have heard of it, um, has been the main source of all the students' communication right now. Everyone is saying they're not going out, they're staying in, they're going home. People are creating group chats so people can walk to campus together, walk around campus together if they're going on a run to not run alone. Um, a lot of collective communities forming right now, which I think is really wonderful, but unfortunate that it happened with such a tragedy. Yeah, and when something's breaking like this, you know, incorrect information can get out and spread quickly. So I want to be careful not to talk about rumors because this is serious. But there are conflicting reports. The, um, the police chief said that this was not a UGA student, but from what we're hearing, perhaps it was a, a former student. Um, and again, I don't want to give any names. I don't want to get specific right now. But w- are people talking about that right now on the campus? Yes, people are trying to keep her exact identity disclosed, not disclosed just for her privacy, her family's privacy during this time. Um, but people are speculating about that. But the general consensus is that she is a UGA student. She's affiliated with sorority at UGA. Um, but there's conflicting reports there. Are you going to stay on campus? Have you made a decision about what you're going to do? Uh, personally, I have not quite yet decided. My home is a few hours away. Um, and I do have some work I need to attend to throughout the weekend. So I think I may be staying, but all of my roommates are home. Um, all of my friends are still in town. My boy- boyfriend is still in town. So there are people that I can go to that are a little farther removed from the situation. I unfortunately live pretty close. Um, so I may be going somewhere else for the next few days. And just my last thing, we're looking at a map right now. We see where the intramural fields are, where the, um, the young woman was discovered. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that area? I mean, is it in the middle of campus? Is it, is it an area where, where students go quite a bit? 
Um, it definitely is. It is a recreational area. All of the intramural sports teams practice there. The Red Coat Band goes there for rehearsals. Um, there's classes down there because there's the tennis courts and also pickleball is a sport that has really taken off and that's down in that area, especially Lake Herrick as the weather is warming up. Students often go out there to walk or read or do intramural sports outside. Um, so it is a well-frequented area, unfortunately. Yeah, and this happened in, in the day. Uh, she apparently went on the run this morning um, and the, you know, the roommate called in, said um, she didn't come back and, and they discovered the body. So this isn't like something that happened in the middle of the night. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. I know it's a tense time. Um, I can't imagine what everyone on the campus is going through. Uh, and uh, we will stay in touch with you. Please let us know uh, if anything develops that you hear about over the next hour. So we'll get you right back on. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Okay, if, if you have any information out there, if you live in the area, obviously we want to make sure we get this number up. Call UGA police. This is all active. I mean, you can imagine what it's like on that campus right now. So if you know something, it'll really help. The number, um, 706-542-2200. And again, obviously we will come back to this uh, if anything develops uh, in the next uh, hour or overnight. Okay, I want to go now to a follow-up on a major break in the model murder mystery in California. We've been covering it so closely. For almost six months, police in Los Angeles have been searching for the monster who beat an aspiring model to death, tied her up, and stuffed her in her own refrigerator. Well, last night we brought you the breaking news that a suspect was finally in custody. All we had was a name last night. Well, tonight we have a face... And we now know that the victim, Melissa Mooney, uh, knew her killer. This is the man right there. The suspect, his name is Magnus Daniel Humphrey. He was arrested more than 1,500 miles away, picked up by police at his home in Hopkins, Minnesota, on an unrelated federal warrant. Well, today, prosecutors said in a statement that Melissa opened her home to Humphrey with trust. Humphrey is already on probation for federal narcotics uh, offenses. This photo was released by the Hennepin County Sheriff's Office in Minnesota, but it was taken on November 4th of last year. And it turns out Humphrey has a very, very long rap sheet with arrests in several states from Minnesota to Illinois and now, of course, Los Angeles. But how did he end up on the West Coast? I mean, he was in Minnesota. And how did he know Melissa? How did this all come together? What was the motive for doing something so heinous to another human being. Melissa had just moved into a fancy high-rise apartment in downtown Los Angeles uh, a month before a murder, living out her dreams. She was working as a real estate agent in Beverly Hills. She was working all sorts of modeling gigs. She was a beautiful young woman. Uh, but on September 12th, that dream was over. Her family requested a wellness check. When she didn't uh, respond to their calls and texts and when officers responded, that's when they found the unthinkable. The 31-year-old was, was not just murdered, she was brutalized. The details are awful. The autopsy says blood was pooled beneath uh, a refrigerator. Inside, her wrists were bound together, and these bindings were tied to each other behind her back uh, with different electronic cords and clothing items. She was in the refrigerator. It says other clothing items uh, were found around Melissa's face and neck, and uh, material was stuffed in her mouth as a gag. Uh, Melissa Mooney's heartbroken sister, uh, Jordan Pauline, she spoke to Ashley back in October. I don't know. Like my sister wouldn't harm a fly. Like, she'll run from a fly before she harms it, you know? I don't know. She just was so sweet. Like, I don't understand, you know? It just doesn't make sense. I don't know who would do this. 
So Magnus Humphrey was flown to Los Angeles, arraigned there today. He pleaded not guilty to charges of murder and torture. And Nancy Liu uh, joins us live in Los Angeles with the details. Nancy, this is just such a horrific case. Do we know any more about the connection? I mean, tell us what you learned at the arraignment. Well, the big revelation today is that Melissa Mooney apparently knew her alleged killer, Magnus Humphrey. Uh, but let's take you to that arraignment today. Uh, he was very stoic throughout. Uh, he really didn't say much. And he entered a not guilty plea. It was very, you know, procedural. Uh, the judge uh, set another preliminary hearing for March 7th. Uh, he is being held on no bail. Uh, but it was only after the arraignment that L.A. District Attorney George Gascon issued a release uh, to announce the charges. And in that release uh, was this statement which revealed that connection. Reading to you, Miss Mooney opened her home to this individual with trust, but was repaid with torture and murder. The heinous disregard for Miss Mooney's life will not go unpunished. Justice is being sought, and he will be held accountable. And uh, Brian, as you know, just brutal details in this case. Melissa Mooney found stuffed inside her refrigerator. Mm. We know from court documents that someone, an unidentified man, was seen on surveillance video on September 7th. And we know that Melissa Mooney was last seen on September 6th. Uh, police are indicating that the murder... Uh, they believe occurred on September 7th and her body not discovered for days when her family requested a well-being check. But again, big revelation today, Melissa Mooney knowing possibly her accused killer. I just Brian. feel for her family, Nancy. We've obviously had them on the show here before um, and what they must be going through. I'm sure there's some relief. Were they at the court hearing today? Did you have a chance to talk to them at all? Yes, uh, quite a few relatives were at the court hearing today. Uh, I had been reaching out to them after hearing about this arrest. Uh, they are asking for prayers from everyone, and they want you know peace, and they want privacy. They did speak out uh, a bit after court, and here's a bit of what they had to say. We are very pleased that um, an arrest was made. We're full of so many different emotions, but we are very grateful and thankful that he was caught. Do you have a relationship between your niece and the suspect? No, sir. No idea. Have you ever met the suspect or No. What is what, any idea on the motive of this? Why someone would do this? No. Why would anyone do something like that? And that's uh, Melissa's aunt and sister, Jordan Pauline, expressing that they don't know this Mr. Humphrey. Um, so it's quite obvious that Melissa never introduced him to her family. And you may recall, Brian, that uh, Jordan Pauline had told me and Ashley back in October that Melissa was two months pregnant. Mm. Uh, so who knows if that factors into any of this? or if Melissa was telling this Mr. Humphrey to leave her home, we certainly don't know.
Yeah, the fact that she was pregnant. I mean, it's already such a horrific story. Uh, just just awful. Uh, Nancy Liu, thank you for digging into all those details today. We really uh, appreciate it. Uh, the big question, though, like how does someone allegedly go from drug and weapons offenses to this brutal, gruesome murder, putting this woman in the refrigerator? My next guest uh, really knows killers like no one else, Dr. Catherine Ramsland. She's a professor of forensic psychology and author of several books, including uh, How to Catch a Killer. Uh, Dr. Ramsland, thank you for for, for being with us. I mean, what I just asked, that's what's on my mind. I mean, this was, this was such a brutal killing. Um, and he, yes, he has a rap sheet, but nothing like this. Uh, do, do people just snap? Well, we don't really know what his full criminal history is because we only know what's documented. It, certainly, he could be guilty of other things that he never was caught. And so it's not clear that he snapped. He's 41. It's unlikely that he just decided to start killing all of a sudden. Um, so either has some other cases like this in his past, or it, this was unexpected. And I don't think he planned to do this. He didn't come in with a with a prepared weapon. The items used were items from that he found appears to be that he found around the house to bind her. And even some indication in the autopsy report was that she was tied up after she was killed. Mm. And that could be to transport her over to the refrigerator. I hate to even ask this. It's all so gruesome. But what does the refrigerator element mean? I mean, why would you put someone in the refrigerator versus, you know, getting rid of the body someplace else? Yeah, I mean, that was the thing that stood out to me the most was you have to think about you're going to have to take the shelves out, the food out. That's exactly how they found her Mm. is they saw items from the refrigerator out on the shelf and on the table. And they wondered what was that? And that was when they saw the blood near the refrigerator. So he'd have to think about why is he doing it? If he wants to just contain her or hide her uh, a closet or the, the locker in the bathroom, something like that. Instead, he puts her in a refrigerator. So he's got to squeeze her in there and place her in there. And I think it was because he wanted to foil time of death because her body would have been preserved with the cooling elements of the refrigerator. What do you mean by that? What, I mean, foil time of death. What, what would be the well, reason she, behind if that? She's, if she's in the refrigerator, as opposed to being left in the, in the room somewhere with the, the temperature, uh, the refrigerator is running, mm. so it would have cooled her body, it would have preserved her body, and could have... Uh, been an interfering factor in terms of figuring out when she exactly was killed. Interesting. That's, and that's all I can, I, I don't think it would work, frankly, because I think we have enough uh, good calculations to be able to figure it out. But I'm, I'm trying to think, what is he thinking when he's deciding the refrigerator is the best place to put her? Yeah, it's just awful. I mean, my heart goes out to her family again because we've talked to them throughout the process, and hopefully there's some relief now that there's been an arrest. Uh, Dr. Ramsland, uh, we always really appreciate you coming on and taking the time to talk with us. Uh, Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Okay, still to come tonight, our reality star Todd Chrisley uh, is in major trouble after our exclusive interview here on Banfield last night. The prison is not happy that he talked to me. He got in trouble. We have the write-up he received today. uh, And we've also got more of my exclusive interview with him about what he says is happening to other prisoners involved. And that involves uh, inappropriate frisking. Also, how he says prison officials are trying to shut down anyone else from speaking out. We've got the details next.
breaking news in Georgia where uh, a woman was found murdered and the campus has been closed. Classes canceled canceled until Monday. If we get any more information, we'll, of course, bring it to you right away. Uh, but now we've also got a major update to my exclusive interview with reality star Todd Chrisley. Last night, you remember, he spoke with me from federal prison, sounding the alarm about inhumane living conditions at the Pensacola prison camp, expired food, mold, sexual assault, he says. Uh, he says the prison staff retaliated when he spoke out, taking away his right to pray in chapel. And now, I've just learned he is in even more trouble. Today, he was officially written up for his interview with us. I obtained a copy of the write-up. It says, it's kind of long, so bear with me. On February 21st, 2024, at approximately 2030 hours, I became aware of inmate Chrisley Todd, reg number 72600019, violating three prohibited acts. Specifically, while watching the news, I observed Mr. Brian Enton during a commercial stating he was covering for another anchor and he had another exclusive interview with Todd Chrisley, which he would play at 10 p.m. As the segment started with inmate Chrisley, there was audio played and the voice was compared to a recent telephone call placed by inmate Chrisley through Truephone on February 21st at 2.15 and it was positively identified as inmate Chrisley, Todd, the give the number again. Uh, And as the segment continued to play, there was video of Mr. Brian Enton sitting in a vehicle with a cell phone on speakerphone communicating with inmate Chrisley. The voice was again compared to the same phone call inmate Chrisley placed on February 21st and again positively identified as inmate Chrisley. They give the number due to inmate Chrisley not making phone calls through the true phone system to Mr. Brian Enton and the last scheduled legal call for Chrisley was scheduled on February 14th, 2024. Inmate Chrisley circumvented the phone system by utilizing a legal call and or he utilized a contraband cell phone. This places inmate Chrisley in direct violation of codes and they give the codes possession of a cell phone, phone abuse, circumventing phone procedures and contact with the public. So he got in trouble today. Uh, They seem to think that Todd Chrisley is talking to me on an illegal cell phone, which I can tell you that is not the case. I was on a phone call with Todd, but it was conducted through his attorney. He did not call me. This was a call with his attorney that I was on. Um, So there is, at least that I know of, there is no uh, illegal cell phone, and he did not call me. And new tonight, I have more of the conversation. Chrisley details abuse. He says other inmates are reporting to him, including sexual assaults inside the prison. obtained many of those signed affidavits right here. I've been going through them. One inmate says a guard, quote, was using the rebar metal hook to pull the milk crates around while I was facing the grill. He hit me between the legs, striking my testicles. I winced in pain when I turned around to tell him that it hurt. Uh, There's another inmate in his late 60s who wrote in a statement that when leaving the dining hall, he was stopped by a female prison official who personally frisked me down, including groping my groin area, uh, looking for illegal contraband. 
understand that I must be searched by a male unless it is an emergency situation. I don't think bringing an apple out of the dining hall constitutes an emergency. Uh, but Chrisley also told me that after he encouraged inmates to start putting their experiences in writing, suddenly, he says, the printer that they were using uh, to print all of these things out and give them to him no longer worked. I'll be standing here. I said, unless you put it in writing, it doesn't happen. The system is broken, and unless you hold these people accountable, nothing will change. These men started putting in compounds, DP8s, DP9s. Well, then all of a sudden, when they started doing that, the copier and the printer and the library that the men have to use, it was shut down. So they couldn't make the copies to put the, the compounds in. News Nation uh, legal analyst Sarah Azari. I mean, clearly this prison, is, he's a real thorn in their side uh, at this point. What do you make, though, of, of the, I mean, they punished him very quickly today. And you were busted. Your name was all over that. I, I was in that report. I know. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> right. So, look, um, most of my clients are white-collar offenders, and I've had them in the BOP uh, in these camps. Um, uh, I have clients there now. Uh, I'm not surprised, you know, that, that this is the most barbaric and revolting institution to me. I got seven or eight people out during COVID because of the conditions in these prisons. And he is the bane of their existence. This institution is about opacity, not transparency. And Todd Chrisley has, you know, gathered up all these inmates with legitimate complaints to expose this uh, prison camp and others, frankly, in the BOP. So they want him out of there. And I'm not surprised that magically the printer broke. But here's the thing with the printer. You know, there are grievances he's complaining about, the mold, the expired food, etc. Those are absolutely unacceptable and have to be remedied. But the printer, you know, there's an alternative. It's a number two pencil and lined paper. And I have, in you know, almost 20 years of practice, I've never received a nicely printed, typed up uh, correspondence from an inmate um, in federal prison. It's always a number two pencil on paper. So, you know, they have to give him that option to do it, you know, manually. Um, but, you know, the, the thing to do here is for that, there's a power in numbers. So he needs to go up the chain within the BOP system, file the grievance, go through the appellate process within the system, and then turn it over to the courts. He can't just go directly to sue the BOP for injunctive relief. But, um, I think he's on that track. I mean, I think that, you know, not, yeah. not everyone has the platform that he does or the daughter that he does. Right. Well, I tried to go in and interview him and do a sit-down interview and go through the Bureau of Prisons and have it all arranged, um, and they flat out said no. And is I he have allowed- a problem with that. And I have a problem with that because, look, that is an absolute violation of the First Amendment for us. We and the press and the media... Is he allowed public, to talk, though? Even? That is a prison policy that says you're not supposed so it's not to speak the law. to the press. It's not the law. And I think that policy needs to be challenged. I think it's unconstitutional because you and I and members of the public, we have a right to know what goes on, on in these prisons. And it's yeah. a violation. Yeah, and for everybody, like, I got some heat. Like, you know, we don't care about Todd Chrisley. He's a criminal. Like, this isn't really about Todd Chrisley. Notice we don't ever talk about really even his crimes or what he's right. accused of. It's about um, the It's conditions. about the conditions. It's and about our taxpayer money paying 
funding for these prisons. For it's about what's really, why won't they let us in? I mean, this is the government, and, and we only have, say, we have to go, but yeah, go ahead Just quickly. real quick, uh, the sexual assault that he's complaining about, these allegations are true. Uh, they have to be yeah. reported to the FBI. We have no time for crime. This right. is not just a regular Well, we'll stay on it. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah. Okay, still to come, uh, an airline passenger uh, snaps, apparently violently starts stabbing another traveler. This was on a commercial flight. One witness says there was blood everywhere. The victim, lucky to be alive. Uh, he was with his wife and his little boy. What happened? Look at this. This is him right there. The way they made the weapon, the bad guy made this weapon on the plane. We're going to explain it next. to follow breaking news at the University of Georgia right now where there is an active murder investigation unfolding. A young woman's body was found there on campus. Police say uh, that she went out on a run. She didn't come back. Her roommate called in uh, to police. They went out and they discovered the body there near those intramural fields. They do suspect foul play. There are extensive injuries and it is so serious that they have made the decision to cancel classes at the University of Georgia all the way through Monday. Uh, and it's a big university. I mean, you've got 30,000 undergrad, 10,000 graduate students. Uh, pretty extraordinary for them to call off classes while this investigation uh, moves on. We just spoke a little while ago to a student on the campus. She says that there are uh, a lot of students who are packing up and leaving. It is obviously very, very scary for them right now. Very, very scary for their, uh, for their parents uh, as they continue to investigate and try to find uh, who killed this young woman on campus. We'll, of course, stay on it uh, and let you know as soon as we learn anything else. Okay, but moving on, uh, there was a terrifying and violent moment on board a flight from Seattle to Las Vegas. A man and his wife on an Alaska Airlines flight were the apparent targets of another passenger's sudden brutal outburst. But this is worse than the other ones we've seen. This is the victim here. Look at the injuries to the face and eyes, stabbed by what witnesses say was a handful of pens wrapped in rubber bands. And what makes this attack even more alarming is just how random it was. The attacker and the victim didn't even know each other. It was apparently completely unprovoked. The stabber is now in federal custody. He was grabbed by the FBI as soon as the flight landed. It landed in Las Vegas. Uh, you've got a federal grand jury now. Uh, they've indicted him for assault with a deadly weapon. Investigative reporter at our Las Vegas affiliate, David Charns, uh, has seen the federal court documents. He's been all over the story. I spoke to him earlier. David, I'm trying to understand uh, like what this weapon was. I was reading the reports. Was it was it basically like a bunch of uh, pens with a with a rubber band around, almost trying to make like a like a knife? Yeah. So it appears that this is some sort of homemade weapon that's a group of pens together with those rubber bands. Obviously, we don't know how this was able to be made, right? Was it made before this person went to the airport in Seattle? Was it made on the plane? Uh, the report that we found yesterday seems to indicate that this person was fidgety sitting in their seat, so he might have been doing something uh, while in flight. You see an image of the pens there. But as we know, a lot of these things that you can bring on planes can end up being quite uh, uh, violent, can be used in violence when they're put together, like you see there. Yeah. I think one of the scary things about this is like you think about when you're on a plane, you're, you're stuck there. I mean, there's really nowhere to go. W what do witnesses say? Like, how did all this go down? 
So from what we can understand from the court documents filed against this gentleman, that he was sort of fidgety in his seat. Like I mentioned, he got up to go to the bathroom like many people do on planes. He came back to his seat and then all of a sudden uh, stabbed the person sitting on the aisle. And when that was happening, the victim's wife and their son were presumably sitting right next to them. Uh, the victim's wife was trying to shield their 70-year-old son while he's getting stabbed. And as you see in those photos, he was stabbed right uh, in the eye. The gentleman who prosecutors say is responsible for this, allegedly saying, according to witnesses, that he wanted to kill this person, that this was quite a violent attack. Mm. Uh, and then... The good news is there was someone on board, law enforcement, I don't know if it was an actual air marshal, right? We haven't heard that term in a while, but they do exist, was able to help get this guy into custody. They strapped him to the seat. There were about 20, 25 minutes left in the flight here into Vegas, and uh, he was arrested when they landed. Yeah, they've got the zip ties on the plane. And like you said, I mean, I've seen before where they'll just duct tape someone to the seat uh, that acts out like this. Did he say anything? I mean, did he know this victim? Like, do we do we know the why uh, in terms of, of why this happened? So from reading what he told the FBI is there appears to be some sort of mental illness possibly with this case. He said that he wanted to specifically speak with the FBI. He also said that he attempted to kill this gentleman who you see there, who could have been any of us. Right? He was just another passenger. Um, and that he felt that the mafia was a, was after him. Um, I don't know particularly why he chose this person, uh, allegedly, according to these court documents. But um, he, he said he did it for those reasons. And now he's in federal custody. Yeah, it's freaky. You never know who you're sitting near uh, on a plane. And you mentioned the FBI. I mean, when something like this happens in the air, it's a federal crime. Uh, so what happens next? I mean, I'm assuming this guy's going to be in federal court. Right. So he was in federal court yesterday as the grand jury handed down this indictment. Uh, it's important to mention that he is detained right now pending trial. Uh, but Brian, this is the same court where we had the uh, alleged FBI informant involving this whole Hunter Biden, President Joe Biden stuff. It, it is the same court. The judge in that case let that guy go. In this case, uh, this gentleman is going to have to be detained uh, pending his trial, and he's due in court in a couple of weeks. Yeah, it seems like a good idea. I mean, if he's just attacking random people on a plane and saying this crazy stuff about the mafia, definitely would be a, a threat to the public. As far as it being on Alaska Airlines, I mean, they've had a rough go uh, the last month or so, you know, when you had the, uh, the, the door fly out and now this happening on the plane. I mean, have they, have they, I guess there's not much they could have done to prevent this, but have they reacted at all? Yeah, no, I mean, usually the airlines don't say anything. The, the statements we usually get are the plane landed safely and you need to yeah. contact enforcement. Um, you know, this the incident itself happened at the end of uh, January, and we only learned about it through this indictment. Um, so my guess is they didn't really want anyone to know, right? Yeah, of course. Well, hopefully the victim's okay. I mean, the picture is pretty alarming. You've been busy down there uh, in Vegas. There's been a lot of big stories. Uh, David Charns, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. We appreciate it.
Okay, still to come tonight, all executions are controversial, but that is doubly true in Alabama. That's because Alabama uses a method that no other state does. It's called nitrogen hypoxia. The state says uh, that it's quick and painless, basically like going to sleep, they say. But others say it is a cruel experiment. And after the break, I'll be joined by someone who was in the room for the first nitrogen execution and ask, I'll ask him what he thinks. Was it actually textbook, like the state officials say, or was it torture? He saw it. He's going to tell us next. execution date for Alan Eugene Miller. Once again, the state plans to use nitrogen hypoxia to kill him. Miller has been on death row since 2000 for killing three people in two workplace shootings. On January 25th, Alabama made history with the nitrogen execution of death row inmate Kenneth Smith. Alabama's attorney general called Smith's execution, quote, textbook, proving nitrogen hypoxia is a viable alternative to lethal injection or the electric chair. But there is a new lawsuit it's been filed by another death row inmate who calls it a botched human experiment. I'm joined now by someone who was at Kenneth Smith's side when he breathed his last uh, breath. Reverend Jeff Hood uh, was Smith's spiritual advisor. I appreciate you being with us, Reverend Hood. You know, this is one of those stories we read about it, but you were actually there. Um, and in, unless you're there, you don't really know what's going on or if there's suffering involved. And you were at the execution. Um, what was it like? Was it horrific? Was it painless? What did you see? Brian, thanks for having me. You know, it was absolutely uh, unbelievable. I mean, we're talking about somebody who was strapped to a gurney who, by all accounts, the victim's family, the press, you know, everybody in the room saw this man heave back and forth and back and forth for at least eight minutes. We saw his face explode with veins and color, and you know it was absolutely horrendous, Brian. And I, I, you know, it's it's fascinating to me that Attorney General Steve Marshall comes out and says that this uh, was textbook. I, I, what I want to ask him is, how do you know he wasn't there, Brian? He, he hadn't seen it. He is relying on people, his aides, and whatnot. Uh, this is a situation we're seeing this across the country. We are seeing politicians say that they want to execute more people. They're saying that they want different methods. They want to use nitrogen hypoxia. Brian, if they want more of these methods, then they should have to do it themselves. But instead, they sit back, they talk about it, and they talk about things that they don't know anything about. Do you think there's a more humane way to do this? I mean, even maybe some of the old-fashioned ways, firing squad, electric chair, based on what you described, those ways may actually have been more humane. Brian, there's two ways of answering that question. One is there is no humane way to kill someone. A killing is killing. We can't teach people not to kill by killing. On the other hand, I can think of a whole variety of ways that I would rather be executed than nitrogen hypoxia. I mean, nitrogen hypoxia has got to be one of the cruelest, uh, just dis disturbing things that uh, humanity seems to imagine. I mean, you're actually suffocating someone to death, Brian. I mean, I've, I've seen five executions in the last 13 months 
four of which were lethal injections. And I can promise you that I would take a lethal injection any day over nitrogen hypoxia. Well, like you said, I mean, if you're not in the room and I've never been in the room for one of these, uh, you really don't know what it's like. And a lot of people talk about it, but you kind of have to see it like you did to really be able to describe and get a feel for for what's going on. Uh, Reverend Jeff Hood, we really appreciate you taking the time to come on with us tonight. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Okay, still to come, uh, we're going to get you an update on what's going on right now at the University of Georgia, where a woman's body was found on campus. There's now an active murder investigation. They're closing the campus down. Uh, We'll have the latest next. We continue to follow the breaking news at the University of Georgia in Athens, Georgia, where there is an active murder investigation happening right now, uh, and they have decided to cancel classes there uh, at the University of Georgia uh, tomorrow, and they say they will resume on Monday. Uh, This is the area, the intramural fields. That's where uh, a young woman's body uh, was found. Police gave an update uh, earlier this evening saying that she went out on a run um, and that she did not come back, and that her roommate uh, called police asking them to go and see where she was. They had a feeling that something was not right, and that is when police went out uh, and discovered this young woman's body. Uh, and they say they do believe there's foul play. I want to quote what they said earlier um, at this press conference. They said uh, the individual was unconscious, not breathing, with visible injuries and was pronounced uh, dead, Uh, and again, that they do suspect foul play, and it is apparently so serious uh, that they have decided to cancel classes at the University of Georgia tomorrow and say they won't resume until Monday. It's been a tough time at the University of Georgia. Uh, There was another student that died there yesterday from an apparent suicide. Uh, We spoke to a student earlier there on campus. You can imagine, I mean, they are in shock, especially uh, with this active murder investigation happening right now. Many students, I am told, are packing up and going going home. You can only imagine uh, how nervous their parents are right now uh, as they wait for more information. We're hoping to get more tomorrow from police, but we know they'll be working all night long. I was just looking at a video from the campus there. They've got an entire area closed off there near those intramural fields where that young woman's body was found. And I'm told that's really right in the middle of campus uh, in a very, very popular area uh, where students go out and go on runs and work out. By the way, this didn't happen in the middle of the night. This happened in broad daylight. Uh, This young woman went out for the run this morning uh, and didn't come back. So whoever did this, did this during the day. Obviously, it's reason enough for concern that they are now canceling classes. And you can just imagine everyone on edge there, uh, on edge there at the University of Georgia. So we'll continue to follow it very, very closely. I'm actually going to get on a plane first thing in the morning, head down to Athens, Georgia. Uh, Banfield will be back tomorrow night. I appreciate you being with us tonight. uh, And we'll keep you updated on what's happening there in Georgia. Thanks so much. Chris Cuomo, how you doing? I hope everybody's cell service is back up and rubbing. What was up with that massive outage? Cell service and pockets all across the country, including Dusty. Somehow she still found a way to call me like a hundred times. It would be nice if the carriers, the government, told us what was up. Transparency. It is a constant issue and we have to keep calling it out. Remember,